0: I right, invite you guys to go ahead and grab a seat this morning. Welcome. So good to see you guys here at Ethos Church, Hillsborough Village. Um, good morning. Yeah, we are uh, in the middle of our season of prayer and fasting as a church called Awaken. And with that, we're also in the middle of a teaching series that we are doing here alongside that at Hillsborough Village. We're literally right in the middle. We're on week three of five. So we are smack dab right there in the middle. And this series that we are in the middle of here is called My House, Your Home. And this series is really about how do we curate our homes to be a place that is welcoming to the presence of God. We believe that our homes can become sanctuaries for the Spirit of God to move freely in our lives. That the places where we spend so much of our time, where we are the most like naturally and normally ourselves, is a place that God wants to move in and be a part of full on. That our homes can go from being places of temptation or being held captive to anxious thoughts or patterns of sin to places where we feel the most free and alive in Christ if we will just do a few things tangibly in our environment and with our habits and how we spend our time to just really focus our homes on the Lord. And we feel that this teaching series has the pot- potential to be deeply formational in your life if you take it and you actually go and live it. Josh has said the last couple of weeks, the series will be really boring if you just show up and listen to the teaching, but you don't go and participate when you're actually at home. It'll just be kind of, in Josh's words. Um, but each week, we are looking at different avenues different ways in which we can allow the kingdom of God to come here on earth as it is in heaven, or more specifically, the kingdom in our home as it is in heaven. And so last week, we took a look at prayer and worship at home. How do we really step into prayer and worship and cultivate an environment and a home that is just saturated in prayer and worship? And this week, we're going to take a look at Bible, the Bible, How does scripture play a role in our environment at home, in our daily life at home, in creating a home that is just full of the presence of the Lord? So this morning, I want you to just take a minute and picture yourself sitting at home wherever it is that you read the Bible or that you'd like to read the Bible more, uh, wherever that is. If you were to go and read the Bible at home, picture that place your desk, your kitchen table, sitting on a couch, a rocking chair by a window. And that place that you have in your mind's eye, we're going to talk about that place this morning, what we think is on offer for you there, what's available in that place. We believe that there's more life and more imagination and more formation available for you in that place than you probably realize, even probably more than myself or Josh or the people on our team even fully realize. Through this teaching series, we've been a little bit looking through this lens of formation asking this question, like, who are you becoming? Josh, last week, he asked the question, picture yourself in 30 years. What does your prayer and worship life look like? And you could have answered that question in two different ways in your mind. You could have answered that question, one, of who you want to become in 30 years, who you hope you will be in 30 years, which is probably what most of us did. That's what I do. Or we could actually take a moment and go, who am I actually becoming? If I keep up with these certain patterns and rhythms of my current life, who will I actually be in 30 years? Because your lifestyle produces particular fruit, and that particular fruit forms you into a particular kind of person. And through the years, you know, in 30 years, we're either becoming more like Christ with each passing year, or we're not. And that right there, that is formation. So when you hear someone say formation, it's this long view kind of thing. Who am I becoming? And like Josh said, walking is winning. Taking these small steps day by day is gonna really help in our formation and becoming more like Jesus. So formation, if you, talk to, if you like get in and read stuff on formation or talk to people, there's uh, several different ways in which we are formed. And one of those Is the practices that we do, the habits, the things that make up our daily life. But another really big key aspect of formation is that we are shaped by the stories that we believe, the big stories and the small stories. So if you've got a Bible with you, uh, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter six this morning, if you want to go ahead and turn there. And I'll give you guys a little bit of context. So we're in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the last book. It's the fifth book in the Bible the last book of the Torah or the Pentateuch, which is just this collection of the law. And Moses is speaking to the Israelite people. Most of Deuteronomy is Moses giving a speech to the Israelite people. And they're standing on the bank of the Jordan River about to cross into the promised land, this land that God said, hey, I'm gonna give this land to your people as an inheritance, And so that's kind of where we're sitting as we look at Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, uh, verse six says, and these words that I command you today, Israel, they shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. When you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Moses, and God speaking through Moses here, are formation geniuses. Israel is about to enter the promised land, but that land is populated with a bunch of other people who have a very different way of viewing the world, different stories that they believe about what is true, different gods that they worship. And Moses and God know that, hey, as you go in, you are going to be surrounded by these cultural forces, these temptations, this temptation to serve other gods and live into alternative stories. But remember. Remember what God did for us. Remember where we came from, that he saved us out of Egypt, that he provided for us in the desert. Remember God. And Moses is kind of giving the Israelites these ancient life hacks to remember their story. Moses knows that remembering their story and keeping the words of God in front of their eyes at all times will be critical for their continued formation and their sustained relationship with God. So what does this have to do with how we interact with the Bible at home? Moses knew that the things that we do shape us, so that formation, but also the narratives we believe or the stories we believe shape us. And the same is still true today. The stories we believe shape us. Whether it's cultural narratives, what is sexuality? How do you express that? How do we live into this story of sexuality? Is it this? Is it this? Is it this? Political ideologies. They tell us, you know, who is the right kind of person to be? Who do we interact with? Who do we look down upon? The stories we believe. Lies of the enemy that are whispered in our ears and cause us to live into patterns of sin and fear and shame. These are all examples of how stories shape us in how we live. So this morning I want to take a look at a few different paradigms of how we view the Bible and hopefully to help us see the Bible in a new or in a fresh light. And we're going to kind of go on a little bit of a journey this morning, but I promise we will end back up at our front doorstep where we're supposed to be with this series. All right, sound good? Sweet. All right. So paradigm number one. The Bible is a story, not an encyclopedia, not an instruction manual or a textbook. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying that the Bible is fictional or not true. I believe the Bible is truth. But the Bible is primarily a story. It's not primarily trying to tell us exactly how this happened or that happened or this is true or this is true. It's not here for us to always look up the answers to life's hard questions, though that stuff is in there. The Bible is primarily interested in telling us a story that shapes us to live in a place that is more in alignment with God and his kingdom, The Bible is primarily narrative or story. It's 43% narrative, 33% poetry, and only 24% discourse or teaching or instruction. So it's primarily story, almost half story, a good chunk of poetry, and less than a quarter of the Bible is instruction. Less than a quarter of the Bible is thou shalt or thou shalt not, which is how most of us think of the Bible. There's something intrinsically human about storytelling. Stories are how we make sense of the world around us, who we are, what is life about? What is any of this about? In a 1944 study, 34 Massachusetts college students were shown this two-minute film of a few shapes moving around on a screen. There were two triangles in a circle and a partially open... Yeah, here's a screenshot from that video. So these shapes moving around on a screen. And after watching this short two-minute film, each student was asked, what did you just see? What just happened? And only one student saw the film for exactly what it was. Shapes moving around on a screen. The other 33 students all had a story to tell about what they saw. Most of which was the story of these two triangles fighting while the circle was trying to stay away and stay out of the conflict. And I watched the video and my brain made the same story happen. To tell and receive stories is deeply human because stories exist as this blend of emotion and information, much like we do as people. We're not, we're not just thinking machines for only ration. And we're not just these like emotional people without any reason. We exist as this blend of both. And so it makes sense that the God who created us is a storyteller. It makes sense that he gave us his story in the Bible to form us, to shape how we see the world around us, and to help us live more in alignment with him and the reality of his kingdom. Stories, they have this really deep impact on us, don't they? We watch movies like Forrest Gump or Steel Magnolias, and they deeply impact us. They move us. We we walk away with like changed perspectives or ways of viewing the world, different ideas. We read the literary works of people great authors like Steinbeck or Tolstoy, and we're provoked, we're challenged, we walk away and like really have to think on it. We learn from stories, we carry them with us, and they shape how we interact with the world around us. Great stories, what they do, they challenge and shape our assumptions about life and the world around us. And the truth is, we all have stories that we live within. We see the patterns on the screen in our daily lives and the world around us, and we make sense of those patterns and live within a certain narrative, or we pick up on narratives that other people have given to us. And these stories that we make up or that we adopt from other people shape who we become. And no one is exempt from this, religious, religious, not religious, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, atheist, Democrat, Republican, and on down the list. Kenneth Boa, in his book, Conforms to Our Image, has this really great, like, I don't even know what to call it, but he says, our presuppositions shape our perspective. Our perspective, in turn, shapes our priorities, and our priorities shape our practice Those are some weird words uh, that we don't use a lot. So really simply, the stories we believe, the presuppositions, shape how we see the world, our perspective, which in in turn shapes the things that we care about, our priorities, what we say is worth our time, which shapes how we live our life. So let's bring it back to Deuteronomy 6. One of the most frequent commands that God gives Israel is to remember. Moses is doing this throughout Deuteronomy. Most of Deuteronomy is recapping a lot of what's happened and re-giving some instruction. And it's Moses saying, hey, remember your past. Remember where you came from. Remember our story. Remember, remember, remember. God knows how formation works through story, and through action. And that, that's what Moses is getting at here in Deuteronomy. And God speaking through Moses. He knew, keep this story in front of you at all times, all the time, all day, when you wake up, when you go to bed, everywhere you go, as you're driving to work, as you are walking to class, keep this story right here between your eyes. Make it a central pillar of your life at home. Live in it, live in this story. Scripture, it's vital to our formation because it offers an alternative story. Just like the Israelites needed that story to combat the other stories that they were about to encounter in Canaan. Scripture offers an alternative story to culture what this life is about, how to have joy and success in it. Scripture offers an alternative story to the stories that we believe due to pain inflicted to us by those around us. Scripture offers an alternative story to the lies of the enemy that are whispered in your ear. Uh, Pastor John Mark Comer, in one of his teachings called The Bible as an Alternative Story, has this quote. It's a little long, but bear with me. It's, it's real good. He says, not only is the Bible a story, but it calls into question all the other stories on offer. And this is what we want the Bible to do, to tear down the empires of our heart that are locked from the inside, to tear down our ideologies and isms that we are imprisoned to and to let us out into freedom with Jesus. He continues on that we do this by simply reading the Bible and letting it mess with us. Let it upset our equilibrium, disturb us, comfort us, answer our questions and question our answers. God gave us this story to shape us and to reveal himself to us, which brings us to paradigm number two. All the other paradigms are shorter than the first one, so (laughs) breathe easy. So paradigm number two, we read the Bible for formation before we read it for information. The idea of formation, I kind of talked about it earlier, but it's foreign to our everyday life. Most of us are not walking around asking ourselves every morning, who am I becoming today? Who am I becoming by buying this pair of jeans or whatever? It's not how we normally think. Our society is one of information, well before it's one of formation. We're trained from a very early age to take in and store information. Our society runs on information. We have entire jobs and like work forces whose entire thing is processing and sharing and computing information. Our education system is one of information intake. Remember this, remember this, remember this. Information is everything to us in the West. However, information is not everything to God. This is important to understand about how we are predisposed because we read for information. When we come to a text, more often we come to it to gain information, to gain knowledge. We think about how we are taught to read for exams. You take the ACT or the SAT, and you've got this reading comprehension part where you read a couple pages or a paragraph or whatever, and it's like, all right, what all do you remember from that text? We read food labels. We read articles. We read blogs, all these things, and information is not bad. I love learning. If you know me, I'm constantly trying to learn or have books going on, whatever. Information is not bad, but information and formation are not the same thing, and we like to equate the two a lot of the time. I was listening to a podcast several months ago and they had this really profound thing they said. They said, we as people, we prefer insight to change, meaning something's going on in our lives, something's wrong, and we want to learn an answer because we think the answer is the same as fixing the problem. And we're actually pretty slow to enact real change, real lasting change based on the answers that we do find. I'm gonna take a moment and pick on the Enneagram for a little bit. I hear this a ton with Enneagram culture. This this tool for us to like learn about ourselves, the personality test, if you're not familiar, and it's a tool for us to learn about ourselves in order to become a more whole person. But oftentimes I hear people talk about the Enneagram, we're like, oh, well, I'm a 19, so that's just the way I am. And use it as an excuse to carry on business as usual. And I'm going to tread really lightly here, but I also sometimes feel like I see traces of this in some counseling and, uh, in some counseling culture, where we go to a counselor or a psychologist or whatever, and they give us answers. They tell us things about ourselves and our life, but too often it kind of just stops there. We learn this information, and we don't move forward with it. And we bring this way of thinking to the Bible and i think that this can kind of trip us up as we read more for information we approach great works of literature very differently than we approach an encyclopedia or a textbook and we need to learn that sorry never mind how we how do we read for formation then if we're so predisposed to reading for information how do we read for formation As John Mark said in that quote above, we simply read it and we let it begin to mess with us. And this is where paradigm number three comes in. The Bible is for dialogue, not monologue. As we allow the Bible to mess with us, we then need to process what it is that we're reading. Like a great film or a great novel, the Bible requires contemplation and dialogue. Have you guys ever gone to like see a movie and I don't mean like the Avengers or Harry Potter or something where it's like pretty straightforward and to the point I mean like a film (laughs) like a really fancy artsy you would call it a film instead of a movie Um, and as you leave the theater as you leave the theater it's pretty quiet no one's really talking everyone's kind of still contemplating processing what it is that they saw and then slowly as you exit People begin to talk with the others that they came with as they process together, try to put together the pieces of the puzzle that weren't explicitly handed over to them. That's what reading scripture is like a lot of the time. And that's by design. So if you ever read the Bible and you come away so confused, do not be discouraged. It's actually meant to do that some of the time. It doesn't reveal all of its secrets on the first or second, or even the 100th reading because the Bible is meant for a lifetime of reading and rereading and wrestling. And that wrestling shapes us. Luckily, the same God that inspired the words on these pages, if you are in Christ, he lives within you. And he would love nothing more than to dialogue with you and help you process what it is that you are reading about. So as we read scripture, we should pause and reflect and pray and speak as we read and process. So God speaks through scripture and he kind of does this through three primary ways. Luke, uh, we can go one more slide. Yeah, God speaks through scripture in, in three kind of main ways, through revelation, through resonance, and through resistance. A quick word on each Revelation is that moment when you're reading and God just reveals something new about Himself or about us or about reality. It's that moment when you're reading scripture and all of a sudden something just it clicks, a light bulb turns on, and you're like, oh my gosh, has anyone ever experienced that? Yeah? Awesome. That is revelation. But I mean, God also, that's God speaking to you. God also speaks in resonance those moments when we're reading scripture and just something deep within our soul resonates with the words on the page. It's like, it's speaking directly into our life, what we've been going through, what we're walking through. And just this word comes that is a fresh glass of water to our soul or this deep resounding yes, deep within us, groaning for the coming fullness of God's kingdom. That's resonance. And then also resistance, the one we don't like as much. Have you ever been reading scripture and it kind of makes you squirm in your seat a little bit, makes you uncomfortable, you get the back sweats, or you're just kind of like, I'm just gonna keep going, I don't, I don't like that one, I wish that wasn't there, so I'm just gonna to skip to the next part because I like the next part a lot. That's resistance, or sometimes it makes us angry, We don't want to hear it. We want to keep going, ignore, explain away. I'm going to go look up five different reasons on why that doesn't mean what I think it means as I'm reading it right now. This is often resistance. It's the voice of God pointing out areas of our lives that are not in alignment with his kingdom. Ways that, as Josh would have said a few weeks ago, are anti-flourishing. God is speaking through his scripture And dialogue should be normal as we encounter these things. We can kind of dialogue, break it down in three different ways if you go to the next slide. So yeah, we dialogue with God as we read before we even get into Scripture. I oftentimes, as I come to Scripture, before I crack this open, I'll just say, Lord, would you speak to me today? And I have this expectant expectation of hearing from him. And God, would you give me eyes to see and ears to hear what it is that you are saying? So we dialogue with God before we even begin to read scripture. And then we dialogue with God during our reading. As we come across things that are either revelation or resonance or resistance, we pause, we meditate. We say, God, what are you saying here? What are you trying to say? And we also continue to dialogue with God even after the fact, as we reflect and contemplate with God in prayer and we respond appropriately, whether that is confession and repentance or whether that is thanksgiving, praise and adoration or something in between. And we use the Bible to speak, to dialogue with God, because the Bible is for our formation. God speaks and we respond in prayer and we begin to engage scripture prayerfully like this with an open heart and open ears and you will begin to encounter the living God through his scripture most of the time, if not all of the time. And we learn to hear the voice of our heavenly father in his word and in prayer. And so all this talk brings us back to our front doorstep. Here we go, you guys ready? We're back home. Unlocking the front door, head on in. Paradigm number four, the Bible is a story that we participate in, not one that we simply observe. There's this uh, pastor, this UK pastor named Pete Hughes, and he has this great line, the story you live in is the story you live out. That's so good. If you don't remember anything, take that one. The story you live in is the story you live out. You see this come alive in people who are deeply steeped in the biblical story. In uh, Win Collier's biography of Eugene Peterson called A Burning in My Bones, he talks about, as you, as you read Eugene's writings, as you read his poetry, as you listen to his sermons, as you listen to him pastor the people that he pastored, his words were always saturated with biblical language, with biblical imagery, the characters of the Bible. It shaped the way he saw the world around it, but it goes beyond that into becoming participants in the story. Have you ever watched a movie or read a book and wished that you lived in that and that it was real? As a kid, I wished so badly that Pokemon were real and that I could go catch them and like, like here's a Pokemon right here. And we could all like, pet it or whatever or I wish that I could go to Hogwarts and I know like you can go to the set and the places that inspired it, but I mean like the real Hogwarts I wanted to go there so bad I hoped on my 11th birthday I would get that letter and be like you know sorry um or that or that Jedi were real I mean come on lightsabers the force being able to manipulate things like that would be so cool But all those places are not real. Those things are not real, they're just stories. That's not what the Bible is. We read the stories of Jesus and we're invited into that story. As we walk by the spirit, and as we become more like our rabbi, we don't just read about miracles, we experience them and we see them. We don't just read about the love of God. We receive it and we share it. We don't just read about the hospitality of Jesus. We receive it and we share it. And we invite new participants into this story. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright talks about how creation, or sorry, talks about scripture as a five-act play. Act one, creation, Genesis one and two, Act two: Fall, Genesis three through eleven. Act three: Israel, which is the rest of the Old Testament. It's the biggest chunk. Act four: Jesus in the Gospels, and then Act five: the Church, starting in Acts one and on to today. That that story, Act five, is still being played out through the Church, through you, through me, through our brothers and sisters in Christ, all across the globe. Guys, God is not a fairy tale creature. He is alive and among us, indwelling his creation. Wright argues that as participants in this story, in Act 5, that we need to know our lines, that we need to learn the language and the history of the acts that came before us, because they give us cues as to how this story works. How it plays out. And we allow this story to shape us, to shape our view of reality and form us into participants in the story. And we invite others to come and participate as well. So, as Moses said, talk about this story when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Bind it has signs on your hands and has frontlets between your eyes and write this story on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Marinate in this story. Let this story shape you. Let it shatter your false worldviews and let it give you the God view that will set you free. Use it to dialogue with your heavenly father as he teaches you what reality in his kingdom is. Learn the language of the story and begin to see the world through this lens as you become a participant in it. So that place I had you imagine at the beginning of our time together where you read the Bible, the next time you sit there, remember it's a story and it's here for your formation. Begin in prayer asking God to speak and reflect and meditate with him. Let it mess with you. Let it shape you into a participant as you receive God's word. Before we move to our time of reflection, I'm actually gonna invite our brother Cody Hunter up. If you guys wanna give him a hand, yeah. I've asked Cody to come share uh, just a little bit about his story and his experience with scripture in his home and all of that. So go for it, Cody. Yeah.
1: What's up, guys? How's it going? Um, Okay, so the Bible. Um, If you're like me, or I'll just give you a little snapshot of my story. I grew up in a Christian household, Christian elementary school, junior high, high school, straight into three Christian colleges. Um, So the Bible and the story of the Bible was part of my life as far back as I can remember. Um, However, I kind of got to this point and I, I don't mean that in like a baggage inducing way. It was like, it was a very good thing that the narrative, the story of scripture, who Jesus was, how he fit into the story of Israel was a part of my life to where I understood that I knew it. It was very much a part of who I was growing up Uh, But if you're like me, I got to the end of college and I was like, I I, I don't know whether it was a sermon or something just dawned on me. I was like, I have been in this word my whole life, but I don't actually think I've ever read it all the way through top to bottom. Like my attitude was like, I've heard enough sermons and read enough of it to where I'm sure somewhere along the line, I've read the whole thing. I bet I've got the whole thing probably. Then right out of college, it just kind of dawned on me. It's like, I don't think I've actually read this thing top to bottom. And I was like, I don't want that to be the case. I'm leaving college. Nobody after this point is going to be like, hey, cramming Bible down my throat. I want to make this a part of who I am, like in and of myself. So I was like, right out of college, I was like, I'm going to read this thing all the way through. And I'm going to try to make that a habit for me, just like a part of who I am in my life. And so right out of college, um, moved back home, had a job that had some flexibility. So it allowed me to have some nice slow mornings. And I got myself a reading plan again, because I'd done that before, but I got it again. I was like, this time is going to be different. And I just started slowly chipping through that thing. Um, And we're about, I think I graduated like 10 years ago from college this year, and at this point, I'd say I've read through the Bible top to bottom probably four or five times at this point. Not, not as a brag or anything like that, but just to say like not that long ago, that was not the case. And I just kind of knowing all of this, exactly what Gentry has said, the importance of this decided to make this like a kind of a, a no excuses, it's gonna be a part of my life thing. So um, the, the fruit of that uh, has been, uh, incredible it's just been kind of exactly what Gentry said it, it when you realize that the Bible is not your handbook it's not your cheat sheet. it is a story that is trying to form everything about life, your view on life, your view on the people that you interact with, your view on who you are, all of that you can start to engage with it in this really, really sweet way so I, I would say some of the some of the practicals uh, Man, there is no excuse for uh, not like having the resources to dig into. The Bible is really confusing. And if you just jump in, it's going to ask a lot of questions and you're going to leave really confused. Internet just blows open the door for just incredible, incredible resources. And you can find those from easily accessible, like I always pitch the Bible project, amazing, amazing resource. And then if you want to go further than that, it is limitless up the stream into the deep scholarship that you can go with that kind of stuff. So go ham on that kind of stuff. It will really, really help you out. Um, The other thing I would say is, be okay with the seasonality of it. Um, So I graduated college and then implemented that in my life. And then for seven years, I was a single dude living with a bunch of other dudes. And it was just, I knew where the Bible fit into my life. I would get up in the morning, read the Bible, go to the gym, get about my day. That was it for seven years. And it was easy. And then three years ago I got married and, it has been a completely different ball game since then. And so honestly, for about two or three years now, it's been me trying to re-figure out, God, where does Bible fit into my life in this version, in this iteration of my life? So be okay with the, like, some seasons are harder than others. Sometimes you gotta figure out how to get it back into your life. Uh, and then lastly, I would say, be okay with the seasonality of dryness versus richness of the Bible. There's gonna be seasons where it is confusing and hard and doesn't feel like it's yielding anything in your life, just more questions. And then there's going to be seasons where it's like every morning it is yielding some sort of rich, rich treasure for you to hold on to through your week. And both of those things are okay. And it's just the human experience walking through this thing. So no shame, no pressure, get yourself a plan um, and just have some discipline to stick with it. And I, I promise you the Lord will yield some incredible, incredible fruit in your life. So I hope that's encouraging, helpful.
0: Thanks, Cody. Appreciate you, man. Yeah. On that, uh, on that last bit he said of like seasons where it's just dry and confusing, I I love, I learned a little while back that there's, in some traditions of Judaism, when they encounter scripture and they come across something that's confusing that they don't understand— they actually like celebrate, because they're like, one day I'll understand this. I don't right now, but one day I will, and they like celebrate. It's such a fun way of viewing viewing scripture like that. All right, so for the next few minutes, we're just going to move into some time of reflection. Under the inside aisle chairs, on every other chair, there are these little sheets of paper. Take those and pass those around, and Luke, if you want to throw up the communion slide, you can reflect using this sheet of paper, a little weekly guide for you, but Take a minute on your own and answer these two questions. What is one way that you can begin to encounter the Bible in your home? And what is something practical you can do to help see your home as a place where the Bible comes alive? And then just invite you guys to step into that this week.